I'm George Kittle. What's up? It's Brock Brady. And you're listening to The Niner Guys. The Niner Guys. Season's greeting, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas to those listeners who celebrate. Todd Kleinheinz and Jerry Sue with you for another episode of the Niner Guys. Fun show ahead. We're going to talk about the conclusion of bird hunting season. Um, the Niners have gone through a stretch of Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks, Cardinals, which we'll talk about, and Ravens, which we will preview. And we're going to get into something that Jim Harbaugh hates. And that is hypotheticals, because we're going to start taking a look at the playoff picture. And I think it's time to give some of the fans a rooting guide or a rooting cheat sheet, if you will, in these last three weeks, because I know how dirty some of you have felt the last couple of weeks, having to root for the Cowboys and this past week root for the Seahawks. You, you've probably had to um, disinfect yourself, but you know, as we look for these last three weeks and start eyeing the playoffs, um, there are some things and teams that the Niners have to keep an eye on. And, you know, the fans are going to be the biggest scoreboard watchers as we sit on our couch watching everything. So uh, we're going to dive into that. But before we do, Jerry, I want you to reflect on 2023 because I got a question. Naughty list? Nice. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because I had an entire final thought no. based around you know the my naughty nice list so well we can are start you with that if you I'm, like or I'm, I'm, no you can say but i want to know about you 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 think you've been nice or naughty oh no i i've definitely been naughty and i can expound <laughs> upon that during my final thought if you would like or i um, can start yes we'll, we'll save that for your final thought so let's let's jump right into the game down in arizona um Niners take on the Cardinals which was a very different Cardinals team this past week than it was earlier in the season just because you got Kyler Murray back he's been a thorn in their side for a number of years um but let me just throw a few things out at you and then you can uh chime in on what you thought your emotions when you saw Brock have to come out of the game oh my heart sank and immediately I'm like no not again. Not now. Why? But thankfully, he 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 got up and got back after, what, a couple of plays? Two plays, yes. Um, your emotions when you saw... See, seeing Sam Darnold throw a pass? <laughs> Same thing. Uh, no! Uh, yeah, you know, hey, I, may, I'm, I was going to say, I, I was going to say this till later, but the Niners are undefeated when Sam Darnold has entered the game. So just saying, it's a it's a it's clearly a trend. Um, your emotions when you saw Nick Bosa down after Gregory threw a player on the back of his foot. That oh one my actually. God. Yeah. Basically a all. Bit more. And any, any, any potential injury situations had me just completely unnerved. Whether it was the Brock injury or Stinger whether it was, oh my God, we I do not want to see some weird like Achilles issue because Randy Gregory thought, hey, let me show who's the bigger man and threw whoever that was onto the ground and land on Nick Bosa's heel. Um, or even when Christian McCaffrey le leapt over, I don't know who he leapt over, or maybe in trying to gain some extra yardage, he 
he took a jump and then somebody, I don't know if it's Hamilton, sort of grabbed his foot and he landed. And then when he came out onto the sideline, he sort of was working on his knee. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Like oh, those three players, the last thing we need is was any of them having to, you know, either miss some time due to injury or or worse. Uh and the emotions you had on one specific play, because to me it was a it was a big play that was probably a turning point. You don't know because of when it happened in the game. 21-13, Ronnie Bell returns the kick, spins, falls on his form, but loses the ball, and then it's picked up and run into the end zone for what could have been the tying touchdown at the end of the first half. Could have been. 21-20 or 21-20, 20-21-20 or 21-all had they gone for two, ends up being nullified, arm on the ground, no fumble. But in the moment when it happened, how were you feeling? Maybe I was just in the minority, but I wasn't super worried because my initial feeling was that, oh, he was down. He, you can't, I thought you couldn't, the ground could not cause a fumble which I guess during the broadcasts are trying to explain that, no, that's not true, that the ground can cause a fumble unless I guess you were already down, unless like you, some part of your body was down and you were touched, whatever. But in any case, I just assumed he was down. And immediately when I saw the replay, I'm like, oh yeah, he was down. Like I saw that the forearm or whatever was down. And the only thing that made me a little nervous was just my lack of faith in the replay system in you know seeing it the way i saw it but that's why every time i complain about officiating or replays like dude like i saw it right away like you don't need to take five ten minutes to review it's right there i get it it was a momentum changing play so maybe they had to take a little longer just to make sure but yeah so that one i wasn't i i didn't have as much angst about um okay did you have angst at all during the game talk to me about the game what you like what didn't you like well you know given the myriad of injured players that we had you know who, who didn't suit up i mean i was a little worried <laughs> you know coming into the game um you know like like i said before when and when brock purdy went down i was definitely worried um because, you know, that's definitely the last thing we need. Because, like I said, I'm just not a huge believer in Sam Darnold, despite the fun little factoid that uh, <laughs> you shared with us. Um, but just thankfully, he only missed a couple of plays and then continued his onslaught of the Cardinals to the tune of 242 yards, four touchdowns, pretty much leading the league in every statistical category for a quarterback now. Um, which I think could also be said uh, for Christian McCaffrey as a running back because he just continues to be Mr. Everything, basically, um, <laughs> running for touchdowns, catching touchdowns. Debo Samuel kind of being Christian McCaffrey-like in a way where he also had another great game with another two touchdowns. And Charverius Ward had, a, had himself a ball game with two interceptions, one of which was a beautiful pick six which mm -hmm. helped the defense that was already missing eric armstead and javon hargrave which i think was a big reason why they gave up a ton mm -hmm. of rushing yards 
Yep. Um, but, you know, at this point, I think the Niners just need to take care of business and win however they can. Um, and I think in this particular game, they did so by just making these big plays. So the important thing is the Niners got the dub and moving on to Baltimore. Um, absolutely. Um, um, Kyler had 211 yards, but seemingly 70 to 80 of those came on the last garbage, garbage time drive, including the touchdown, uh, compared to Brock's 242. Uh, he didn't hit 70%, which was broke a string of uh, games where he had 70% completion. Uh, but I still think he played exceedingly well. His touchdown pass uh, to McCaffrey, the one where he spun out of uh, the away from the defender and lofted it. And Christian had to catch it backpedaling, fell down, got up. I think, I think that was a prime example of, he has enough athleticism in him to recognize and get away. Again, he's not going to be, he's not going to be, you know, compared to Lamar Jackson in terms of what he does in terms of juking people in the open field. But when you need to get out, whether it's a sprint option a naked bootleg spin away from a defender, keeping your eyes downfield, getting the ball to your playmate, he just does it all. He does it. And he does it so and maybe this is part, he does it seemingly effortlessly. He doesn't seem like he's exerting a lot of oomph or hard work to get these things done. Um, maybe that's the faith he has in himself, the faith he has in the players around him that he's going to, you know, get it. Even the little touch pass that he had to Kittle, where Kittle had to kind of boop, bat, bat it back to himself, you know, but it was kind of like, I just got to get this ball, you know, in the guy's area. So I thought Purdy had a, had a great game. I thought McCaffrey had a good game. Um, I thought Ayuk had a good game, and I was actually hoping he would have not a better game, but he would be, you know, highlighted a little bit more. But the catch that he made or the throw that Brock made, um, just far hash mark to the sideline on an out pattern just past the defender's outstretched arm. Again, every week we're seeing plays that – kind of go unnoticed, you know, but third and 11 to keep the the first drive of the second half simply alive that resulted in a touchdown is like, you know, they, they get the ball to, to players in space. And again, I don't know if this is, this is just Brock. I don't know if this is Kyle's design, but it just seems to be working right now. You talk about we want to be peaking towards the end of the season. Well, this is the time you want to start peaking, right? You know, three games left going into the playoffs. Not so much, you know, weeks, you know, two, three, four, even during their three-game losing streak when people thought the sky was falling and, you know, they thought they were bottoming out. It was like, yep, those, that's going to happen. But this was a somewhat worrisome game going in because you just never know what the Cardinals are going to do. You got three wins. You – the Cardinals didn't even do things that I thought they were going to do. They fake punt, you know, go for it consistently on fourth and long. They have nothing to lose. So you have a chance to hinder the 49ers playoff chances, their number one seed hopes. Uh, and the Cardinals didn't do it. They kind of tried to play them straight up. And I think the Niners are too good, too talented, too motivated to really lose to anybody uh, when everyone's healthy and you try to try and play them straight up, which is why – they can get Armstead back. If they can get Hargrave back, that's going to be a big thing going 
uh, going against the Ravens Monday night because of their rushing offense. Yeah, you mentioned that Purdy is just making it all look so easy, which ironically, I think, you know, that's what makes certain people remain skeptical of Purdy mm-hmm. because to them, right, to these detractors, it can't be this easy, mm-hmm. which is why I think they call him a system quarterback, right? It must be Kyle's system. Because um, how else do you explain this kid was picked last in the draft, shows up at the game dressed like he's going to econ class, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and then he goes right on the field and just shreds them. Yeah. Um, but I think the opposite, you know, the opposition, once they study the tape and once they play against him, they find out pretty quickly that Purdy's the real deal. And yeah. as Kyle likes to say, and because I think he's got that kind of Steph Curry baby faced assassin in him. And, you know, you, you hear how Jerry Rice, among others, are now comparing Brock to Joe Montana. And we've seen how Brock has quickly challenged some of Joe's records. I think it's because of the same qualities that Joe even had, right? That Birdie has the, that same nimble feet and fluid body movements and particularly the poise under pressure that Joe had. So it's incredibly uncanny, the similarities of those two guys. So let me ask you, you brought it up. Real deal? Because I know you, you you were a little skeptical when Kyle called him that in preseason and, and you you had some you had some questions. And then there was some there was some mockery early in the season about the real deal. Is he the real deal? Is he your is he are you ready to say he's your long-term quarterback is, is he the guy who's going to take this team for the next you know decade 100 100 percent. i'm on board all right well i'm going to ask you to get off board because i'm going to ask you <laughs> one of the hypotheticals here because brock is the current betting favorite for the mvp award but i need you to take the other side i need you to take the side of whoever you want tyreek Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Mahomes. What what is an argument, specifically if it's a quarterback, why another quarterback should be the MVP besides Brock? I couldn't make an argument for for that unless unless I'll tell you I'll tell you I'll tell you what it would take. I Unless Brock Purdy, I don't want to say goes into the tank because I can't see that happening, but unless his production falls by the wayside again, falls off, unless he begins showing those Jimmy G-esque kind of panic plays that we saw against Minnesota, that we saw against the Bengals, that would probably be the only reason, and and that the Niners end up starting to lose because of you know, those plays, I guess that would like, to me, just like the Niners are in the grand scheme of things. I think Brock Purdy is in the driver's seat when it comes to at least, you know, the, the MVP discussion, when it comes to quarterbacks, mm-hmm. um, you're saying why Tyreek Hill might win. I, I suppose if he's able to break the record and be the first receiver, right. He'd be the first receiver to gain 2000, yards i think that could sway voters because again it's a historic achievement um 
But to me, as long as Brock Purdy keeps, you know, keeps stays on this path and keeps producing like he has, I don't really see anybody else because I feel like Dak Pur. I mean, sorry, Dak, Dak Prescott. After the game against Buffalo, he's fallen off, right? I think Jalen Hurts, after what we've seen the last few weeks, he's fallen off. I know that people have now brought Josh Allen back into the conversation because some will say he's the guy who does it all mm-hmm. for the Buffalo Bills. Like, he's the man, right? Whereas with San Francisco, people don't want to give Brock Purdy credit because they have Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, it would just be the biases of the voters of the national, the AP, I think it's the AP writers who, who are the, uh, ones who do the voting, but you know, me and awards, right? I just, I don't really care. I mean, if they win, it's awesome. If they lose, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it because all I care about is the Lombardi trophy. And so, to me, yeah. Well, let me ask you about Brock. Let me ask you about Brock because as a Niner fan, you know, he's closing in on some hollowed records. You know, like th- this is not an organization. This is not the Chicago Bears, right? Th- this is an organization who has had a history of quarterbacking all the way back from your buddy, John Brody, you know, through Joe Montana and Steve Young, even, you know, even the Garcia days, you know, and even Colin Kaepernick, you know, had a flash in a year uh, of, Thing. So Jeff Garcia holds the 49er record with most yards in a season at 4,200, just under 43. Brock, uh, Brock is at 37. He needs 483 more yards or 160 yards per game in these last three weeks. The odds say he's going to do it since he would have to have a real clunker. He'd either have to have a real clunker in there or he'd have to sit out the very last game of the season because everything is wrapped up and you're going to avoid injury. But even then, I got to imagine if he's within a hundred yards, Kyle's going to put him out there for, for that. Just We saw Kyle put McCaffrey out there when there was a, a chance to break a record. I can see him running through at least, hey, we're going to give you a half. We're going to call a preseason type game at, you know, Tebow's going to play. Ayuk's going to play. We're all going to play half. We're going to try and get you this. But if you don't get it, then you got to sit. So at 161 yards, Purdy's got a great shot to unseat your Garcias, your your Steve Young. Uh, Steve Young was the only player to ever throw for more than 4,000 yards twice. Um, So Purdy has a great shot at doing that. He is sitting at uh, 29 touchdowns with the 49er record held by Steve Young at 36, one year and 35, another. He would need, again, two touchdowns per game. Can he get, can he overcome and have, and have that? Can he have seven more touchdowns this year? I think if he plays in every game, he will. I think the, the only thing, like you said, that could set him back is if he has an uncharacteristic clunker between now and the end of the season, or if they just decide not to play against the Rams if they win the next two games and they just have all the starters sit out and they'll, and, and he puts Sam Darnold in. Um, what's a more impressive current stat for you? 
his touchdowns or his interceptions? He's sitting at 29. I mean, I mean, just in, in, seven in, interceptions. what's that? He's What's sitting that? at 29 touchdowns. Right, right. So I would say in the grand scheme of things, given that this is like his first full season of starting, I would say the interceptions. But the fact that he's already at 29, I mean, I just feel like they're equally impressive. But I guess if you had to choose, I'd say the interceptions. Just because, I mean, most young quarterbacks aren't this – you know they're 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 not this efficient. They're not they're not this mistake free. They don't play like like the seasoned veteran that he's playing. Which is why, when it comes to the MVP, like look, in my opinion, which you know I'm sure is not going to be popular, mm-hmm. is that I think actually it should be shared between Purdy and McCaffrey. I think I'd love to see them be co MVPs, right? Um, I mean, obviously we, we know Christian's great, right? He is soon, ever since he was traded to the Niners, the Niners have had hit another gear. Um, but as great and as important as Christian's been, I feel like Purdy's been just as valuable. And he's the one that in fact has put it all together, right? Cause you can have the best running back. You can have the best wide receiver, but I still believe that, you know, like the Niners offense completely came together because of Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. And in, in fact, in my opinion, because of Purdy, the offense has now superseded the defense. Interesting. So, okay. you know, I'm sure at the end of the day, you know, McCaffrey will have a Marshall Falk like historic year, but I still believe that both guys are equally deserving of the MVP. Um, yeah, I think, I think the fact that, you know, McCaffrey has done what he's done so far this year, he's already think top five all time for Niners. He's 400 yards away from becoming the all time 49ers single season rushing leader. He's put up his consecutive touchdowns, which we talked about earlier. He's put up, you know, 20 touchdowns he's going and he's got three more games. So there's, there's more, there's more stats to put up. And again, it's not unprecedented to split the MVP award. It would be unprecedented that it's two guys on the same team. But you remember Brett Favre and Barry Sanders split the MVP one year. Uh, and there was another time I heard, and I forget who it was, that um, that had an MVP split. So not, not completely uh, out of the realm of possibility, especially when you have such a dynamic player like Christian McCaffrey. So we'll see what the, see what the voters uh, do and talk about. Let's spin around the rest of the NFL because as a Niner fan, it was a it was a pretty perfect week. I don't know if you could ask for more things to break your way uh, that you didn't control that were outside of your game. Obviously, them taking care of the Cardinals was big, but playing at the same time were the Cowboys in Buffalo, which turned into an absolute massacre, um, which has, I know, a lot of AFC Fans keeping their eye on Buffalo as they start to get on the right track. The, you know, you got to be thinking about the Browns and the Bengals and even the Dolphins, keeping an eye on what Josh Allen and the Bills are doing because I got to think they are, they are rooting against the Bills from getting in. Because even if they get in it with one of those wild card spots, the Bills are clearly a dangerous team. But for the Niners' sake, 
the Cowboys who beat the, the Eagles the week before and took control, not control, but took the spot, top spot in the uh, NFC East. And then they go lay their clunker and they've got, you know, the, it puts a game be- between the Niners and them leading up to the Monday night game. All hail Drew Locke. Um, <laughs> Drew Locke, you know, leads. It's got, I haven't followed Drew Locke group. I've got to imagine it's, if not his best game, certainly his best game winning final drive to beat the Eagles. The Eagles are reeling now and the Niners have placed a little bit of a buffer between themselves. They've essentially put two games between themselves and the Cowboys, the Lions, and the Eagles. Not that I want them to trip up, certainly, but if they were to trip up, the the number one still number one seed is still for the taking. So what did you make of both the Cowboys game and the Eagles game? Well, my first questions are, did the 49ers break the Eagles? And has anybody checked on Philly fans and whether any of them are sitting on a ledge somewhere? Because I'm not saying the Eagles have hit rock bottom because they're still 10 and four and they're in the playoffs, but they seem to be in full panic mode, demoting their defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, and elevating Matt Patricia before this game against the Seahawks and then immediately losing to Drew Locke, who (laughs) led the Seahawks on that 90-yard game-winning touchdown drive under two minutes that you mentioned, stunning the Eagles and I'm sure all their fans. So that's my that those are my first thoughts coming out of last week. Well, let me and let me tell you, let me just say the Eagles did not announce the demotion of Desai and elevation of Patricia during the week. In fact, uh Desai came out in the middle of the week as the defensive coordinator for his regular weekly press conference. Now, to me, this this reeks of poor leadership from Sirianni's point. Like, it's not a competitive advantage to, you know, you're not saying, well, I sent him out there because we didn't want the the Seahawks to know who was calling. It it didn't matter. You had the same players. You know, you might get a few more wrinkles, but you send him out there because you didn't want the blowback and to feel like the wheels really are coming off of your – of your team because like we talked about last week Sirianni has nothing to do with the game itself when it starts because he doesn't call offense or defensive plays he can throw the red challenge flag calls timeouts but outside of that he is he is not in control and I think this is further evidence that he's not in control during the week of his team so as as scary as the Eagles were three weeks ago when the Niners were going to Philly and it was going to be a boy we need if we can get this game we we got a shot it's going to show them we can it's almost gone to the point where yeah the Eagles are another team that could be in our way for the playoffs they do not possess the same fear right now that they did three weeks ago and whether that's proper feel fear or not the fact that you're a 10 10 win team you know, still in in a spot to earn a number one seat, and you're doing this with your coaching staff, and you're that's you're talking about bigger problems than just what was seen. And obviously, changing the defensive coordinator didn't really do a whole lot since Drew Locke carved you up for 92 yards with a minute left. Well, it was just kind of a weird game because on the one hand, we knew that they they had their issues in the back seven, but on the other hand, they I don't know who's 
idea it was, whose call it was, but they seem to rotate a lot of young players who hadn't played yet. You know, a lot of rookies that they put in almost as if it was not to say it was like a preseason game, but almost as if, I mean, I know that they've have injuries, right? Darius Slay couldn't play. So they put in a lot of young guys, but by, by the same token, I feel like um, they got gashed with the running game, Seattle's running game. Cause maybe the front, the front uh, four might even be kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're gassed. They're you know, you, the you, you were relying on Jalen Carter, right? They're like, hey, look, they drafted Jalen Carter, who's been so good for them. But, you know, at some point, these rookies, they hit a wall. And I bet you he's hit that wall. So I feel like, yeah, they switched up their defensive coordinator, but I don't think it should matter. I mean, I don't think it matters clearly, not really, because it's more of a personnel issue. And even on the offensive side, it was kind of surprising that – or maybe not to you, but you know, for me, I, it was surprising. I feel as though Jalen Hurts is regressing. You know, he's he if he's if he's not making a lot of plays with his legs, and if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't hit the play on that first read, he doesn't see. He doesn't really see the whole field. The Nick Bosa may have been prophetic when he was talking about laying the blueprint out that. Again, and it's this. We'll get into it in a minute when we talk about the Ravens. But it's the same blueprint the Niners tried to have with Kyler Murray. This, like, stay in your rush lanes. Don't let him get out. Like, make him scan the field as options two, three, and four. Not look for his primary. And if he's not there, I'm getting out and running. And that's what seems Jalen did for a lot of the season, specifically during those wins against Buffalo and Kansas City, where. He was, you know, talked about being the leader for the MVP race is he was doing those things. And when he's not able to run and maybe it's an injury issue, maybe it's one of these things that he's he's just not able to to do like he was at the beginning of the season when he was fresh, when he was, you know, as healthy as you could be. But if he's not able to run, it's still and I got to say, I think even though I, I think the lack of a good quality tight end, which is why I keep thinking Zach Ertz is going to be signing there any day now that he does not have a reliable outlet. It's great when he can get the ball to AJ Brown. It's great when he can get the ball to Devonta Smith, but if it's in, if in a secondary, especially like something with the Niners where you can create pressure with four and you've got seven guys back. It's hard to find these guys. Cause you can, you can bracket these guys and blanket these guys with at least at least looks like there's two guys within their vicinity. So um yeah, I think I don't know if it's regression or there's something up, but it's definitely a different Jalen Hurts and a different Philadelphia team. And I'm I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely and may, fine. Yeah, I'm and, fine. And, and maybe their key was the two coordinators who ended up leaving, right? Because I, I mean that's Jonathan Gannon's done pretty well in kind of starting that rebuilding process in Arizona and certainly Shane Steichen's, I mean, he's got the Colts in the playoff hunt. So, you know, I think losing him as an offensive coordinator may have also, you know, uh, changed Jalen Hurts' game one way or the the other. I agree. I think that's a storyline that didn't get nearly as much discussion early in the season, especially maybe it was just because they were winning and it looked like it was seamless process, but now you're starting to see, yeah, you have Steichen, who's taken a Gardner Minshew-led Indy Colts team to 
in the playoff hunt. And again, I thought the Colts were, or the Cardinals were going to lay down all season long, move on from Kyler, draft Caleb Williams. We're going to start. We're really going to start next year, but they haven't. They've been feisty all year. They won their three. They beat the Cowboys. You know, they. If you're if you're a betting person, they've covered the spread more times than they they've been blown out, which is probably a testament to what Gannon has done um, to get a team bereft of enough talent to play hard the whole time. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, any other games this week catch your eye um, that made you uh, made you go, ooh, I got to make a note of that. Well, well, just as stunning as the Eagles slide was pretty much how the week started with the Raiders <laughs> taking a 42 to nothing lead by halftime that, that, against that. the Chargers. That seems so long ago now, but you're right. That yeah, was. That I know. Was At first, I was like, "Was that this past week?" And I was like, "It was." It was the first game of the week on Thursday night, where they ultimately, the Raiders, that is, won sixty-three to twenty-one. How Brandon Staley kept his job till now was a mystery to us all. But thankfully, yep. the Chargers put an end to the misery by finally firing him, along with their general manager Tom Telesco. So. It'll be interesting to see who ends up taking the job in the offseason, which I'm sure will be in great demand because yes. of one Justin Herbert. Um, it will be – it should be the top job available for any coaches who are looking to be head coaches, whether the Spanos family will write the needed check to lure a, you know, a Bill Belichick, a – uh, Mike Tomlin, should he, you know, and Pittsburgh probably, I mean, I think Tomlin is actually a guy that I think would really be good there because that the Chargers need a culture change after, after what Staley and just the, I don't know, goofball frat boy type, just lackadaisical way that the Chargers went about things. I think Tomlin could be, because if he could bring a good offensive coordinator, which I don't, again, because you got Justin Herbert, I don't think you're going to have a lack of interested candidates trying to to get in there. So I think that will be something to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see what Brandon Staley does. Does does the stench of his head coaching tenure, you know, color him from not not getting a defensive coordinator job for a year, or does he just collect his money and then come try and circle back? You know, does he does he do the consulting role for a year before he takes a, a coordinator's uh, spot? We'll see. Um, yeah. Well, I heard uh, Sean McVay already go go to bat for Brandon Staley after his firing. Now, whether or not Brandon Staley has been sort of traumatized by this whole experience, I don't know. But well, I could see somebody giving him a shot as a defensive coordinator just because he's young well, and, you know. It might be McVeigh because McVeigh very well could be losing Raheem Morris uh, this year to a head coaching uh, position. So McVeigh very well, if he's really going to bat for him, well, guess what? You you can groove a BP fastball by saying you don't even have to move. You simply change, go different direction down the SoFi hallway, and you can come back and be the Rams DC if he if he really wants to go to bat for him. So. So you mentioned Tomlin and Belichick. Do you find it weird that both of the longest tenured coaches in the NFL have fallen on hard times at the same time? Um, 
No, only because I don't think they're correlated in terms of being falling on hard times, except for the fact that both of them have significant quarterback issues, right? I mean, we we've seen it from Belichick and I think I, I just I don't think may, and may, maybe maybe Kenny Pickett is okay. They just drafted him. He he wasn't doing a whole lot until they got rid of Matt Canada. Then it seemed like he figured it out only to get hurt. And then I think I think the book is out on Mitch Trubisky that he's just not gonna be the reclamation project people hope for. I'm sure he'll stick around for a number of years and and be your Chase Daniels, you know, type of guy where he'll bounce around because he he has some physical tools. He was a high draft pick. Someone's going to be willing to give him the shot at a backup quarterback spot. Um, but I think the quarterback position for both of those teams, and I and I think for Tomlin specifically, for Tomlin specifically, if you've seen those, if you've seen the George Pickens highlights, lowlights of just no effort, like not blocking, you know, making excuses. Well, I don't want the, I don't want to get rolled up on, you know, while I'm blocking for dude, you weren't even blocking at all. Like you were just standing there. So the fact that a guy like Tomlin seems to have lost some of those types of guys. And I don't think the, I don't think the Pittsburgh locker room, they don't have a Ben Roethlisberger or a Heinz Ward anymore to shake these guys to put George Pickens into the wall and say, this is not how things are done. They just don't have those types of players on the roster. And I think it would take another, it would take another free agent period, another draft class to, to bring that up. Now, I don't think Pittsburgh wants to, you know, move on from Tomlin. I don't know if Tomlin really wants to, so it's not going to surprise me if he sticks around, but if they meet and go, look, I've been here a long time. It's, you know, it might be time to go our separate ways. I could, I could see them doing that. Yeah. Cause all reports have indicated that at least with Bill Belichick, that he's just coaching out the spring in new England at this point. But what's interesting to me is that you mentioned those two guys for the San, uh, sorry, not San Diego, the Los Angeles chargers opening, but not Jim Harbaugh. I cannot, I can't see Harbaugh going to Pittsburgh, certainly. And I can't see him. But what about Los Angeles? I can see him. I can see him going to Los Angeles. No, you're right. I could see him going to Los Angeles because for Harbaugh to go, he's going to need a situation where he at least has sign off approval of who the the GM becomes. Not that he's going to, not that he's not going to have final say of the the 54 the 53 man roster or the draft club, but Harbaugh want he wants the same thing Kyle's got in terms of I want to sign off on who this guy is I'm going to be working for. And I don't know if you're going to get that in New England without with the Chargers having a GM opening if they're willing to open up the checkbook and bring Harbaugh down I mean it's certainly a possibility because again you're talking about Justin Herbert, you're talking about a defense that has playmakers. You're talking about an offense that has skill position players. You're talking about a team who needs a culture change. And look, everywhere he's gone, we know it. He changes cultures. He he instills an attitude from the day he walks into the building that it's it's going to be it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. So 
I mean, can, do you think, I mean, we had, we had talked about Harbaugh to the Raiders, you know, and that still might be a possibility if, if the Raiders move on from Antonio Pierce, but that's why I think this off season is going to be very interesting um, because you're going to have some big names out there. Um, and it's going to, I'm sure there's going to be somewhat of a backdoor bidding war for a Belichick, a backdoor, be, you know, bidding war for Harbaugh. But again, what, are you going to have, it, can Mark Davis write the check needed to get the big name coach? Can Spanos, we know Kraft can Kraft. That's why I, I would fully imagine that, Whoever Kraft wants, he's going to be able to get if the paycheck's big enough. Now, I got to imagine whoever comes into New England is going to have to have a quarterback plan. You're going to have to have a plan of who are we going to get? Whether it be we're going to we're signing Kirk Cousins, we are bringing in you know Sam Darnold, Tyler Hunt. We're we're bringing in somebody as our band aid, and we are drafting. I think aren't they drafting like currently third or something? We are taking our franchise guy. Like, and if that means moving up to number two, we got to do it. So, I think I think I think the Patriots' job will be appealing just because you know you're going to have stability and ownership. You're going to have the money. You're going to have the backing of you know the fan base to to get things done. And the expectations are going to be, you know, fix this. And you know we we know that a smart a smart coach, smart GM can get things done quickly if done right. Let's, uh, since we talked about old Jimbo Harbaugh and his love of hypotheticals, let's take a look at the playoff picture because it's time to start looking into that crystal ball. Who are the Niners going to play? What's the path to the Super Bowl going to look like? So we talked about the fact that the Niners got a early Christmas present with the Eagles and Cowboys losing, giving them a one essentially a two-game lead because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker over both the Cowboys and the Eagles, and they have the conference tiebreaker over the Lions, who also have 10 wins. So the Niners would have to lose two of their last three games to lose the number one seed. I I find it hard to imagine that's what they're going to do, um, even with the tough Ravens game the fact that they play the commanders and then they play the Rams I think I think they will get their two wins so I think the Niners will uh, end up being the number one seed in the NFC agree concerned um agreed and the only concern of course is always injury so Randy Gregory stopped throwing people (laughs) at Nick Bosa's feet and Brock Purdy stopped taking those big hits (laughs) Uh, the other what the other spot that seems to be um, locked in it would be the number four seed that's going to be the NFC South winner. Currently, the Bucks are seven and seven, and the Saints are seven and seven. They play each other next in two weeks, um, and then they essentially have. Uh, well, you tell me. Tampa Bay plays Jacksonville, New Orleans, and Carolina. Okay. What are your thoughts on wins of those? Uh, where where are they playing against uh, against New Orleans? Are, is it at, in Tampa or is it in New Orleans? In Tampa, home I, against I, Jacksonville, I'll, home against the Saints, on the road against Carolina. All right, I'm going to say at least two and one, if not three and zero. So then the Saints have the Rams on Thursday at the Rams Thursday night football this week at Tampa, home against Atlanta. I think 
I'm just, I don't know. I'm just not a believer in Derek Carr. Can't believe that I'm saying I'm more of a believer in Baker Mayfield, but I agree. This has been a pretty good season for him. I'm great. Like, you know, Tampa, you know, they they found lost money, as they say, I think, right? And yep. and in Baker Mayfield. And I feel like not necessarily is he going to be the their franchise quarterback for the next, I don't know, 10 years, but certainly for the foreseeable future. So that would lock in Tampa Bay into the number four seed. So let's talk about the Cowboys and the Eagles. Because one of those teams, right now the Cowboys have the tiebreaker over the Eagles based on uh, conference record. So if they both win out, Dallas would have the tiebreaker. But Dallas plays at Miami, home against the Lions, and then at the Commanders. Yeah, I I think, I said this I think last week, I – I'd expected that the Eagles would take back control of the, of the NFC East. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't give me much confidence after watching them Monday night against Seattle, but I just find that their path so much easier than the Dallas Cowboys that I'm still sticking with my, my um, expectation that Philly will end up coming out on top and being the, you know, being the division winner of the NFC East. I agree, because the Eagles play home against the Giants, home against the Cardinals, and at the Giants. So, um, I mean, I unless know. Tommy Tommy Cutlets is uh, still spinning his magic, which didn't, which I'm not sure if it had run out or they're still, you know, riding the coattails of that Monday night victory or what, but they didn't look too good this past week. Um, so basically, so I agree with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to slot the Niners at one, the Eagles at two, which makes the Cowboys the, num- the number five seed as the top wild card. The Lions would finish in as the number three seed, regardless kind of of what they do, because they're they're going to lose the tiebreaker against the Eagles. But da- uh, just Detroit plays at Minnesota, at Dallas, home against Minnesota. I think they're. I think they get tripped up at least once. I mean, pick, take your pick. And if they get tripped up once, that means they, they won't be able to tie the Eagles for that number two spot. So you're slotting in the the Lions as the number three seed, Bucks number four, Cowboys number five. All right. So the last two spots, and this is kind of where you start thinking about what. Who do you want? Not necessarily the Niners playing because with the number one seed, the Niners are going to have the butt. Which and this is maybe this is just how tell me how you think about it. I'm thinking about about it as which team has the best chance of upsetting either the Lions or the Eagles. I I, I have a hard time thinking the Cowboys are going to lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though the game's going to be in Tampa Bay. Um, but of the current wild card teams, I'll give you their schedule. Minnesota is sitting at six. Minnesota plays Detroit. Uh, at, it plays at home against Detroit, home against Green Bay, and at Detroit. And these are your Nick Mullen-led Vikings. Don't forget. Hate to pick against Nick Mullins, but I've just not, never not been a believer, as you know, in the Vikings all season, and. Yeah. I'm just not sure they're going to get it done. So let's say they win one of those last three. So they're eight and nine. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. 
What about the Rams? What's their schedule look like? So the Rams will go Thursday night uh, again, home against the Saints at the New York Giants at the 49ers. Okay, so let's say they go two and one. So then they're nine and eight. They would be nine and eight. And what about the Seattle Seahawks? Seattle is at Tennessee, uh-huh. home against Pittsburgh, at Arizona. Ooh. Oh my gosh. I just don't know. I just I really don't know how to how to pick these games for Seattle because I so tell so they're on the road twice? Uh yes, t- Tennessee and Arizona. Yeah, I'm not sure. What do you think? I mean, they can go two and one. They can also go one and two. They can go three and zero. Oh. I don't I, know. I, I think it's a in my mind, it's a better shot of them going three and zero oh than it is one and two because I I see the pits. I think that they're going to win in, uh, at home against Pittsburgh, which would mean all they have to do is either beat Tennessee on the road, and right now Will Levis is banged up, so it's a Ryan Tannehill led team. And then it's the last game of the season against the Cardinals in Arizona. Geno Smith is supposed to be on track to play this week. So, again, you think Geno is going to uh, get back to starting. I think the the Seattle wins two of these games. And at Mm -hmm. seven and seven, that's going to put them at nine and eight. Then it then it's let's see. Tell me Green Bay. What's Green Bay's record? I mean, it's scheduled. So Green Bay really hurt themselves with their their loss yeah. to yeah, uh, Carolina. No, not Carolina. Um, who they no, just last? What's that? Uh, Tampa Bay. They, with their yeah. loss to Tampa Bay, because their next three games are at Carolina, at Minnesota, home to Chicago. Right. They could, but they could. They'd have to go three and zero. Right. So I'd say the last the last seed would go to either Seattle or Green Bay. And yes. I'm not sure who it would go to. And I would like and I'd like that because well at least I'd like to see the Rams actually get to that sixth seed so they can face off against the Lions in that first round. Yes. Did the Seahawks Stafford get against Goff? Uh, so we're saying the Seahawks, the Seahawks did not, it would be the the Seahawks did not play the Panthers, meaning there's no head to head means it would go to conference. Seattle is six and five currently in the conference. Green Bay is four and five. They win their last three. So they could tie, so they could tie and then it would go down to, even further, like strength of schedule and strength of victory. So uh, you're talking about Seattle. If Seattle only wins two and Green Bay wins three, you are talking about that. So, so here's what it here's what it all this means. Niners one, Eagles two, Lions three, Bucks four, Cowboys five, Rams and I don't know what you want. Packers, Seattle. You care? I mean, who do I want? Yes, that's that's. I'd rather have the Packers 
just because you know my feelings towards Seattle. But so again, this is a perfect example of what what should the Niner rooting cheat sheet be for? And that would be for the Packers to win all three of their games to get into that last playoff spot, because that would mean the Packers would go on the road in week one to play the Eagles. Whoever whoever takes that last playoff spot is going to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. So as a Niner fan, which team has the best chance of upsetting the Eagles or at least causing them enough angst to struggle in that game? Would it be? I guess it would be Seattle because <laughs> have they not? I think I saw some stats and they haven't beaten Seattle in like 15 years or something crazy wow. like that. Okay. So, so they're like, they're, I think they're like 0 and 8. Nice. So again, so there's there's one of the things that um, Niner fans can be looking for. You're right. The Rams would be the Rams would be facing off against their former quarterback Jared Goff uh, in Detroit. I don't know how you feel about Sean McVay and Matt Stafford going back to Detroit to you know do battle. Um, but again. My thought is I would like the Rams to get that because I think the Rams could win. I think the Rams could Oh, yeah. Win. I think it would be a shootout. I think it would be like, a I shootout. I don't win, but it would be a shootout. Yeah, I think it would be a shootout. And I think the Rams' defense could do enough to upset Goff, especially up the middle with Aaron Donald, right? So, again, here's – and this is why I'm laying this out because the week following, the Niners play the lowest seed. And if everyone goes as if, if the highest seed wins, right? If it went Eagles, Lions, not Bucks, we're gonna we're gonna say the Cowboys, Cowboys. Beat them, right? <laughs> so you're talking about not it'd be Niners, Cowboys, Eagles, Lions. And at that point, I almost think the, the Eagles have a better chance against the Lions having to travel outdoors to Philadelphia than the Cowboys coming to Santa Clara. So if any of those other wild card wins, well, they're the ones coming. So now give me the Rams, the Packers, or the Seahawks coming to Levi's for that first game and the Eagles having to play the Cowboys. Because I would love to see that. And then in the NFC Championship, Niners play the winner of that, which again, should be a slobber knocker. So we'll see what happens. So again, as the as the cheat sheet for rooting is, you're talking about, yes, as much as you might not like the Rams, Niner fans, not a bad thing for them to, you know, get a couple wins before that Week 18 game, which hopefully the Niners have nothing to play with or play for. They're, they got the number one seed locked up. The Rams probably will, so they're not going to just lay down. And you hope that they're into that that position of the six or seven where they can go into and into that wild card weekend and get a win. You know, because, again, you're talking about I'm not scared of any of these teams, but on any given Sunday in an oblong ball on a you know grass field and you don't know what kind of weather and your buddies in the black and white stripes, you don't know what's happening. Like the variables that come out on any given Sunday, you just want to have as many in your favor, which is why you want that number one seed. You want all the games to come home. You want to be able to sleep in your own bed all week. You want to have your regular practice schedule. So. Um, Niner fans, you're going to be, you know, feeling not great inside if you have to root for Seattle and the Rams over the next couple of weeks, starting Thursday night with the 
the Rams to beat the beat the Saints. How's that sound for a road to the playoffs? Or would you rather see someone else? Maybe I'm just feeling overconfident, but I just just bring it on, baby. Bring that, it on. No, I I I agree with it, you. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who we play. They're gonna cut it, it's gonna come through. It's gonna come through. I don't know what you want to call it. San Francisco, Santa Clara. It's yep. coming through our town. So all right. So jump ahead then. Who are you who are you most scared of coming out of the AFC? Is it Mahomes and the Chiefs? Is it Josh Allen and the Bills? Is it Mike McDaniel and the, the Dolphins? Would it be Lamar again on the Ravens? I mean, or could it be one of the two teams you've lost to? The Browns or the Bengals? Both of them are in the playoff hunt right now. I guess it would just be the Ravens mainly because of Lamar Jackson. I mean, you know, we haven't really talked about this upcoming game on Monday night on Christmas, but it's going to be a heavyweight battle, I think, and yes. potentially a preview of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, right now, both teams are seated, you know, the top seated teams in their conferences. We've talked about Lamar Jackson's mobility. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, his mobility is even a bigger threat than, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray, mm -hmm. um, you know, because he's often leading the Ravens in rushing. So I think he's going to be even more difficult for the Niners to contain than those other guys. Um, and and Lamar is making big plays with his arm as well, even without his tight end, Mark Andrews, who's, you know, out, I think, for the season due to injury. Yes. Yep. Um, but, but, you know, he's got other weapons. Say Flowers, Sean Bateman. And of course, Odell Beckham. So I think Baltimore could be a challenge for our defense I do, I and agree. their defense. What's that? I, I agree. I, I totally agree with, with what you're saying. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is watching the Ravens the last two weeks. The fact that the Rams took them to overtime and it took a, a, a punt return in overtime to get the win. And then watching them this, this past weekend, um, Lamar, it was Lamar and, and the tight end just over and over again. And, and that's, a little, likely. that's a, that's a little scary because you just saw what the Cardinals did with Trey McBride. He was the only one making plays in the passing game for the Cardinals. Now, is that by design? Or was that like, we're taking away the outside and we're going to give you the, the tight end. I don't know. I don't know what Steve Wilkes is working on, but the fact that, it is the tight end. Again, that's going to be a, a primary target for the Ravens. If And if Hargrave and Armstead are not back, we'll be hard. Because the one thing we didn't talk about the Cardinals game, the tackling was not good. The missed, mm. Not only the missed tackles, but the over-pursuit and letting runners cut back up the middle. Um, that was that was concerning. That was, that was concerning to the level of, Ah, you see that in weeks one, two, and three when you're just kind of getting into the motion of the season because you went through all preseason and, and didn't hit anybody and didn't didn't do that. But you've been through this all, and you have Fred Warner, and you have Dre Greenlaw, and you have these veteran linebackers who should be containing this. Um, and maybe that's a testament to how good Armstead and Hargrave have been against the run that they continually slow it up to the point where the, the linebackers are just cleaning up the mess, not creating the, the car, car wreck. So um, I think those couple things will be very, 
uh, important come Christmas night. And, you know, it takes a lot of, I would say, discipline, right, to to make sure that you get those tackles and not to downplay Arizona as a formidable foe, but I could see that part of the sloppiness could be that, you know, there's like, Hey, this is the Cardinals. Right. But when, when usually when they face a team that they look at as kind of an upper echelon team, generally speaking, I would say that their tackling is a little bit on point, but you know, to, to your point, yeah, for sure. Like, having Eric guys like Aaron, Eric Armstead and Javon Hargrave makes a big difference as well. So, um, but speaking of uh, great defenses, I mean, Baltimore themselves has a pretty stout squad as usual. I mean, they got, you know, a couple of great linebackers of their own in Roquan Smith and Patrick queen, a yep. uh, fantastic safety in Kyle Hamilton yep. and a defensive lineman. That's not a household name, Justin Matabuike. Marmaduke. <laughs> yeah. but he already has 12 sacks on the season yeah, so the, i think the ravens from the nose tackle position which is incredible yeah. so the so the ravens i think i think they're going to be a handful so when you ask which team am i most fearful of i mean i mean obviously patrick mahomes and travis kelsey and whatnot they always have their magic formula but they don't seem to be firing on all cylinders not like they been in the past and you know their defense seems you know like they they're they're not as formidable and then i know that the bills are on the come and they've had their issues early in the season but they're they're ones that i i guess are concerning as well because they seem to be putting things together at the right time but as of right now since the ravens are the number one seeded team in the afc and we're going to be facing them next i think that's the one that you know I'm probably, you know, as as Fred Warner likes to say, the, the the biggest game is the next game. I was surprised that the nine again. I I think the Niners uh, are going to win against the Ravens. I think they, you know, just up and down the lineup, they are a slightly better team. Not the not take away, not not take away from the guys you mentioned because all those guys, you know, because how I how I look at a team is could that guy start for my team? And you know, you look at guys and maybe you know maybe. You know, Hamilton probably does. Does Queen? I don't know with Fred Warner and Greenlaw, but there are guys on the Ravens who you could say would start for this this Niner team. So the the Ravens are are certainly going to be a formal opponent, but the Niners to be a five and a half point favorite was a little bit surprising because wow, is that the spread? I did yeah, not even know. It, it is two. Huh. It's, it's the number one seeds in both conference. Both of them. There are no major injury you know concerns that you would think would sway it in the Niners favor by that much I mean if you wanted to tell me oh the Niners opened as a two-point favorite or a three-point favorite for me yeah okay I can see that you know Baltimore's got to travel cross country it's during you know it's it's on Christmas how you know does that take away a tiny bit from the the guys who are you know have families and are trying to do any kind of family thing before getting on the plane flying to the west coast you know, maybe, but you're, you're talking about, you know, nearly a touchdown. Um, so, it, again, I say it all the time. These these Las Vegas didn't get built by losing a lot of money. So, you know, they, they, they clearly know what they're doing. They are unemotional to it. So I hope they're I hope they're right. Well, and part of it is the game, right? Because if they put 
a line out, like let's say five point spread in favor of the Niners, maybe that'll get a lot of Baltimore Ravens to bet first, right? Raven fans, like no way, no way are the Niners going to, not only they're not going to beat us, but definitely, and they're not going to cover, right? And then the line will move to, like you said, like a, you know, three, two point, three point. And that's when you get the Niner, <laughs> the, the Niner fans betting like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to win by three, right? So I feel yeah, like that's, but, but you know, and again, gone up. what really it went, it went from, it opened at five. It's now at five and a half. So, so maybe everybody, maybe the, you know, what are they, what are they called? The wise guys, the guys that bet huge. Maybe those guys love the Niners. They just I think, guess. man, the Niners, this, this bird hunting season, they just can't lose. <laughs> they can't lose. <laughs> they love hunting them birds. Uh, so that's good. Again, it's it's I, I'm I'm hoping for a similar holiday celebration uh, to what we had on Thanksgiving. You get to enjoy uh, and it's a, it's a triple header on Monday, you know, so you get in fact. I don't anticipate Rams Saints being as high scoring as the Ram or the Raiders uh, Chargers from last Thursday, but. You know, they get things kicked off. And like we just said, if you're interested in, you know, playoff seating, you're going to be taking a look at that game. But then you have two Saturday games full, you know, most of the games will be played on Sunday and then a triple header on Christmas Monday with the Niners capping it off. So again, much like Thanksgiving, I hope we can enjoy a full festival of, of football. Hopefully it goes similar to this past weekend and things break the Niners way capped off by a Niner victory on a Christmas night. Uh, so again, you're talking about things that, you know, are just, you, you, you know, this is why as much as I'm sure you're on the nihilist, I wish you were on the nice list because that would just mean, you know, better things coming to those who are on the nice list, including, you know, that, you know, red rider BB gun underneath the cr Christmas tree um, for everybody. So uh, anyways, what is um anything else about the 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 game, the playoff, the look ahead, uh thoughts on the number one seed before we get to our close our final our lock of the week and our final thoughts? Well, first of all, it'll be interesting. I'll I'll I don't know if you know why I'm on the list, so I will let you no. know <laughs> during the final thoughts and then it'll make sense. But as far as my lock of the week. Um, I think because as we were talking about the teams that I we think are gonna make it, I'm you know, I'm 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 gonna be back on the just pick the team against the Carolina Panthers. I know that they just won in a in a barn burner against the <laughs> Atlanta Falcons, nine to seven. So they got that one one win, that monkey off their back. So unfortunately for them, I think it's back into the loser column. And I think with the uh with the uh, Packers fighting for for their lives, for their playoff lives, they're gonna they're gonna uh, they're gonna be able to sew up a victory this week. So, the Green Bay Packers, my lock of the week. Um, I like it. I like I like it, I like it a lot. Um, I would. Uh, I, I I think that's I think that's a good pick. It was on my short list until I realized I had already taken uh green bay and i've kind of just i've maxed out on all the possible good teams i yeah. guess 
Um, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go in a different direction. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do what I would never advise um, anyone to do. Uh, that's, <laughs> that, that's taking that's take a road team this late in the season. Um, but give me the Colts over the Falcons um, in Atlanta. Col- Gardner Minshew uh, going down to play uh, Taylor Heineke, as Desmond Ritter has now been benched for the rest of the season. Um, Atlanta is another team in shambles that I'm sure we'll get to uh, in the offseason to talk about what they um, are going to need to do. But that's that's offseason discussion. So. For the time being, since I cannot, t- I, I was looking. I'm like, I wanted, to t- I wanted to take Seattle. I was going to take the Browns. I was going to take the Lions. I was going to take. The- I ended up taking them all. So give me Gardner, Minshew, and the Colts to win. Um. With that said, final thoughts. So as we were talking about, you know, with Christmas right around the corner, and Santa's got his list of. You know, who are naughty, who's been nice, all probably sewn up. I thought I'd put together my own list of nice things that deserve to be praised, as well as naughty folks who deserve that lump of coal this holiday season. And atop my naughty list are players who have shown a lack of effort on the field. From guys who are just lollygagging, as they said Chase Claypool was earlier this season, to guys who get you know, benched for an aversion to tackling like Tariq Woolen. And then guys like the ones you just talked about, George Pickens, who decided, I'm not going to finish this block for business reasons. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So I, I also think that the refs deserve to be called out since nobody else wants to hold them accountable for basically their oblivious ways. Uh, I don't know if it's because the game is simply just too fast for them or if they're just really bad at their jobs, but I just think it's not good for the game when week in and week out, poor officiating overshadows what otherwise would have been a great game to talk about. Um, Even this week where, I don't know if you saw that one tackle that this one New Orleans Saints made and he was called for, you know, a, an excessive, I think, yeah, I, uh, not in sportsman, like what was, um, it's like a personal foul, right? Yep. I mean, that's, it was like a textbook tackle. Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, in real time, it looks bad because, well, the player receiving the blow certainly took it pretty hard, right? So, not a, every hard hit is a penalty. That should not have been a penalty. And I just don't understand what the refs are watching. And so if players and coaches get fined up the wazoo when they offer even a hint of criticism, then the least I can do is rip the refs and put some coal in their stockings. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, yes. Thursday night football. Thursday night football deserves to be on the naughty list because for whatever reason, the matchups tend to be lackluster, which I don't know, maybe not even matter because it's on Amazon prime and not everyone can even watch it since it's not on a net regular network. And as for the players, I mean, sure. You can argue that they get extended rest after the game they play, but I bet it sucks for them to have to play the game on short rest. So to me, Big fat lump of coal for 
Thursday night football, um, as well as for Aaron Rodgers, who seems to have a tendency to make everything about himself. And it's <laughs> just really obnoxious. Seriously. Because I don't know what the rationale is behind the Jets activating Rodgers. Supposedly it's because Roger wants Rodgers wants to keep practicing with the team, even though he's not even going to be suiting up to play this season. And the reason why that bugs me is because not only do I think it's ridiculous, but the Jets apparently had to cut a guy to make room for Aaron Rodgers on the 53-man roster, you know. And I'm like, dude, okay, so the Jets had to wave this fullback named Nick Bowden. Okay, nobody knows who that guy is, and probably nobody really cares. Well, nobody except for Nick Bowden because <laughs> he's this journeyman player who's at the end of the roster just trying to collect this minimum paycheck, whereas Rodgers is like, I just want to practice on the field, so kick that guy off so I can just hang out. So, again, lump of coal for him. But the biggest lump of coal goes to me for questioning the Niners' ability to get off to a fast start, questioning their ability to win the NFC West this season, for having doubts about Brock Purdy and his elbow and his ability to continue his ascent in the NFL, and mostly for not putting a bet down on Brock Purdy winning the MVP considering what the odds were just a few weeks ago because it would have been a pretty hefty payout had I put a good bet on it, but... Yes, I'm dumb, so I deserve the love of coal. Not sure if you have anything else to add to this coal recipient list. Uh, I like I, I I like the fact that you were you know dishing out dishing out coal to uh, to some people. I especially love your Rogers ones for that reason because when I saw that you know Jets cut so and so for Rogers, I thought oh he's playing. And it's like no, just so he can practice. Which to me, I'm thinking. Why are you even like? What do you mean you're like? Are you taking reps away from somebody? Like, are you practicing with the ones like so you can play with practice with Garrett Wilson and all these guys, or are you just the scout team? I I can't even see your right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any. I mean, even Jimmy when he wasn't on the could was able to just throw off to the side. Like Aaron, you can't just throw off to the side. Let me tell you. If you went into the receiver's room and said, hey, guys, I'd love to be able to throw for like 30 minutes after practice. Would you guys mind sticking around and running? So every single one of those guys is saying yes is going to run. You don't need to take legit practice time to to do this. So I I love the I love your lump of coal uh, for Mr. Rogers. So not Mr. Rogers, Mr. <laughs> Rogers. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um, no, I I want to uh, take my final thought and just make it quick. Um, if you haven't been watching uh, Amazon Prime's uh, Reacher again, the season two is just oh, that's right. It's back. Season two just started up uh, oh, last yeah, week, uh, and I think Amazon Prime has has nailed the perfect way to roll out a series. And by perfect, I mean the worst way because <laughs> because I was so excited thinking they rolled it all out, but they rolled out three episodes, right? And I just binged right through those. I'm so excited. I'm I'm three episodes deep into the the Reacher character and 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 what's happening, only to find out now, nope, 
Now you're going to get one at a time for the next few weeks. Wow. (laughs) So they suck you in just enough with three hours worth only to go like, you're too invested now to not come back every week, but we're not giving it to you, you know, in the big chunk. So um, the, the first three episodes, incredible. If you watched Reacher, um, the guy was his name's Alan something. Rickman. R- Alan Richter? Rickman. Yeah. I, he is bigger this year than you like. He's huge. Um, and it's, it's a great character. It's, it's, it's good. Yes. Yeah, since it seems to be a surprise to you that it's back on, um, jump on, watch the first three episodes, get involved. So, uh, Amazon prime reacher back on my watching list only to have to do it every week, I think on Thursday or Friday. So yeah, it was on my radar and I don't know why, for some reason I sort of forgot probably cause my kids had finals. It was kind of stressful around the house. Um, but, you know, a show that had been on for years and just aired its final episode was Real Sports. Yes. On HBO, hosted yep. by Brian Gumble. Think, you know, after 29 years, I'm not sure why they didn't just mm-hmm. extend it one more year to cap it at 30. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they're done after 29 years. And I sure hope that HBO sort of keeps, you know, those episodes um, on demand. Because, I mean, they I felt like a lot of their correspondents did fantastic work in terms of the stories that they cranked out. Beyond on that fantastic one. work. I mean, that that was, and I, I even, I, I, I rarely social media post about too many things. Um, but I posted as I watched the episode last night um, that it was, it just seemed like such a nail in the coffin of good sports journalism, good, just storytelling um, that it was, it was kind of the one beacon of sports journalism or things that it was not, it wasn't Skip Bayless or Colin Coward. It wasn't hot takes. It was in-depth stories. It was get to know characters. It was take on um, important issues, whether it be, you know, the ALS concussions, whether it be drug addiction um, in the, you know, combat sports and wrestling and boxing, um, you know, to, to everything, everything that it took on, uh, it did so well. So Taking uh, the Olympic committee to task for their corruption. Every, every year, every, I mean, every four years they would be able to dive deeper into that. Yeah. Everything they did was just so well done. And it's disappointing because the only reason a show like that doesn't continue to make it is because it's not enough people are watching it. Right. I mean, and that's, again, that's disappointing that not enough people found the value in it when there's so many things out there that are just being shoved into your face, you know, about, and that, that gain traction and you see on social media about, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. And it's, you know, it's, it's too bad. I think it's more of a, it's a, it's a poor reflection on society's values of what they want and where they get their information. So yeah, real sports was real sports was incredible. Must watch for me all the time. So yeah. seeing that. And last maybe we're just, we're just dinosaurs because the watching habits, right. Of most, yeah. uh, most viewers, they're, they're, tuning into youtube they're tuning into these you're talking about social media these kind of shorter format type of uh 
you know, reporting. So, but I did have my nice list. I don't know if you wanted to hear my nice list. Well, I don't want to, it's the holiday season. I don't want to leave everyone with just the lump of coal. So why don't you give me, (laughs) give me your, give me your nice list and we will, we will call it a day. All right. Well, so let's start by sticking with the Brock Purdy theme. I know we've already gone on and on about how amazing he's been on the field, but the dude seems to be just as great of a person off of it. Because I just heard a story on KNBR today about how Purdy, when he was in high school, you know, when they'd have a substitute teacher and the class, I guess, would get unruly, it'd be Brock who'd stand up, you know, in front of the class and help settle the class down. I mean, who does that, right? So Brock, definitely on the nice list. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking about shows that we'd like to watch. Well, to me, Peyton Manning and Netflix also deserve to be on the nice list for season one of their docuseries quarterback. Uh, not sure if they're going to have a season two, because I don't know what players, if there are any quarterbacks who are willing to go on the program. Um, but I loved, you know, finally getting to that beyond behind the scenes look at how quarterbacks prepare for, for not just the game, but the whole season. And it certainly made me become a huge fan of Kirk cousins, which I never thought I'd be. Um, so Kudos to them. Uh, and speaking of quarterbacks, hey, the backups. The backups who've come out of nowhere to help their teams. We saw Drew Locke do it on Monday night, Tommy DeVito, Jake Browning, and even old Joe Flacco right off the couch. And, you know, possibly guiding the Cleveland Browns to the playoffs. So definitely say that the unsung heroes deserve to be you know, in terms of the quarterbacks deserve to be on the nice list. Same goes for, for Tyreek Hill. I think we talked about this where he volunteered to pay for the lost wages of that photographer who was suspended by the NFL for the season after celebrating Tyreek's backflip selfie. So good on Tyreek for, for helping out, you know, this young, young photographer who probably didn't even think he was doing anything wrong. Um, and my number one, on the nice list has to be the NFL script or the script writers because <laughs> it never fails or they never fail to entertain us with all sorts of twists and turns and surprises to the season. I mean, sure, we all predicted the firing of Brandon Staley, but nobody predicted the rise of Brandon Aubrey. Dude started as a professional soccer player, then became a software engineer before deciding, eh, I'll take a crack at this whole football kicker thing. So he signed up with the USFL and kicked for the Stallions before now signing with the Dallas Cowboys and is one of the best kickers in the NFL. Um, yeah, so, and of course, we have the number one teams from each conference facing off on Christmas Day in prime time for Monday Night Football. I mean, come on. Bravo, NFL script writers. Bravo, you're number one on the nice list. Nicely done. Very nice. Um, That'll do it for another episode of the Niner Guys. Um, Enjoy the holiday season, whether it be Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, or your winter solstice. We will get together hopefully next week after Christmas to celebrate uh, the end of hunting season, which I hope comes out undefeated. Um, But until then, 
I'm Todd. That's Jerry. Thanks for listening to the Niner guys. Find us on social media. Hit us up. Be interactive. Enjoy the holiday season. We will see you next. Good night.